1: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
2: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
0: We hadn't done anything. I was terrified, it. As far as we were concerned, we was going to our death and then you'd think you'd be relieved when you find out they're police officers, not at all. And up until then I had nothing against the police and and then started bashing my brother and coming up and and raiding my mum's house looking for stolen goods. So I decided to myself, listen, if you want a criminal, I'm gonna give you a fucking criminal. So they hated me and I hated them and it became a war with me. And after they put me in jail for the first time in DC, I met more kids who were criminals and that's how I became a professional criminal. So it was kind of by accident and fate.
1: Welcome back to The Gap, the podcast listening in on conversations between people of different generations as they answer questions about an experience they share. Today, old crime meets new crime. The voice you just heard belongs to Noel, a former bank robber whose life has gone from serving decades in some of the UK's toughest prisons to becoming a writer and educating young offenders.
2: Good to meet you. What's your name? Cornet. No. No, nice to meet you, Noel. Nice to meet
0: you as well. How you doing?
2: Good. You look different, right? You look different to what I was expecting.
0: What were you expecting?
2: I don't know. know, You've still got, like, something about you.
0: Crusty-looking old gazer.
1: Speaking to Noel is Cornet. Cornet is 22. Growing up in Lewisham, he fell into a life of dealing drugs. Things took a turn when he was caught by police with 50 kilos of cutting agent for cocaine. In this episode, you'll hear their stories about protecting themselves from violence, the things that kept them sane behind bars, and the opportunities that gave them a second chance.
0: Where did you grow up? I grew up really in North London till I was about nine. Hmm. It was just full of bomb sites from the Second World War. Like, every second house was gone. Now, it's pretty bad, and some parts of it are good, but in those days, most of it was really, you know, poverty-stricken. Where did you grow up yourself?
2: Born and bred Lewisham. Yeah. My whole life, so but probably moved from Lewisham to Deptford, but I still have the borough. Like, I can't remember. I had a good upbringing. Yeah. Yeah, 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 I had a good upbringing. Like four sisters, right. and um, I got I got three brothers. One, one that live in London, but yeah, yeah, like good upbringing, tight knit family, big house. It must have been late 2014 or early 2015 that uh, Lewisham had the worst stabbing rate in the whole of the boroughs. And, People getting get established
0: right at centre. In my youth, when I was 17, 18, 19, Deptford was known for, it was well known for armed robbers. Now imagine this 98% of armed robberies committed in the whole of this country were committed by gangs from out of uh, Deptford.
2: Right out of Deptford? Yeah. Everywhere in the yeah. south was just rough, like, you couldn't really, you couldn't really go much places without yeah. something happening.
0: I wouldn't read this without my glasses. <laughs> I Right, this one is uh, quite interesting. Describe your first arrest.
2: My first... Oh, I remember it. I do, I do, I do. One of my friends, he's still quite close. We stole something from a shop just for fun. The adrenaline, it was like, ah, we're out of school, I've got nothing to do. That looks nice. I'm just going to take it.
0: Was there any fear at all? Even when do you know were in what? the back of the police car and going somewhere, you don't know where you're going and...
2: Not really, because if I'm being honest, we was like two minutes from Lewisham Police Station, so we knew we ain't gonna have some long ride thinking about oh god, it's great. So we have gotta go from here to here. Everyone that wants, everyone has done probably done bad or wants to be bad in their life, goes for a little stage, a little window, maybe 13 or 15, where it's cool to be arrested. It's cool to be seen getting stopped and searched, and it's have blue cars around you. You look almost famous or important. Like, if you got stopped by armed police, oh, he must be, he must be big time, and we got armed police around him. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, to me, that was at like the start of, to like, yeah, i got police around me in the middle of Lewisham. And then, like, and then what really kicked in was like, shit, my mum's going to come. I was like, oh, this is a... consequence. I was really, like, I was really scared to, like, my mum and dad. How did you feel about it? I
0: came dad? at it from a different angle, really. I became a criminal by accident. And what happened with me was, I was um, playing truant from school one day, I was 14, with a mate of mine, and we were up in Norwood, uh, just walking along, all of a sudden a van pulls up, old comma van, load of geezers jump out, scruffy looking geezers, they all smell a drink, they grab hold of us, drag us into the van, we think we're being kidnapped by paedophiles. Beating my mate in one corner, broke my finger, snapped my finger, turns out they're a burglary squad from Gypsy Hill Police Station. And then they bring me round and try and break my other finger, my little finger, and beat the shit out of me, and they're telling us, as we're going back there, you're going to tell us all the crimes you committed, all the burglaries. By the time we got to the police station, we wanted to admit everything. We, we hadn't done anything. I was terrified, mate. As far as we were concerned, we was going to our death. And then you'd think you'd be relieved when you find out they're police officers, not at all. And up until then, I had nothing against the police. And and then started bashing my brother and coming up and and raiding my mum's house looking for stolen goods. So I decided to myself, listen, if you want a criminal, I'm going to give you a fucking criminal. So they hated me and I hated them and it became a war with me. And after they put me in jail for the first time in DC, I met more kids who were criminals and that's how I became a professional criminal. So it was kind of by accident and fate. Describe the first time you used violence. We had a little gang on our estate who were like, we all grew up together and we all backed each other up in fights against other estates and all that. With their weapons? Um, mainly knives, but what we used to do is we used to tape off the end of a knife or a razor so that it was only an inch of it sticking out. So if you cut somebody, in a gang fight, you would leave a mark on them, but you wouldn't kill them. You wouldn't hit an artery or anything like that. We were rebellious youth in the inner city area, living in basic poverty. And now we've kind of gone back to that. Violence was always in my life. My dad, when I was five or six, my dad would be coming home from the pub drunk, bringing home blokes with him his mates and that, and they might end up in a big fight in the front room. We're in bed as kids, and, and I'm getting up and seeing blood and teeth up the wall and all things like that. They were serious, serious violent people. The first violence was that, really, was my dad, you know, being violent, and, and then growing up with it all the time. It became the norm for us. It's gonna sound a bit strange, but what did you do for fun?
2: My fun, with them was really just smoking weed, getting high. When you're young, that's all you wanna do. Smoke weed, get high. You
0: into graffiti or
2: anything like that? Nah, nah, no. nah, 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 nah. I used to wear nice clothes. Can't be graffiti. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was into kind of colour match track suits and trainers yeah. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I wasn't doing all that. I was just like, when you're young, you don't you don't really want much. You just want to smoke, eat. That's yeah. about it. Buy clothes. That's all you really want to do. You know what I mean? And just get a bit of females' attention, and that's about it.
0: but well, education-wise, did you? Uh...
2: I, I'd never got me and education. We just we never clicked. Yeah, we never. Never really liked each other being me in education, so... Bunk school all the time. Yeah, just from there, that's where it all kind of started, probably. Like, I got kicked out two weeks from my GCSEs, had, like, nine months out of school. Literally yeah. just lawyer until next opportunity arises.
0: What was it about education you didn't
2: like? I was just probably scared to be like, if I don't get the result I want, I'm going to look stupid, so I might as well just be the class clown.
0: I enjoyed being a class clown, though. No, I went to a terrible school, Tulsa Hill. Um, would they allowed to
2: hit you back in them days?
0: yeah. Yeah, they didn't hit me much, i got to tell you. The <laughs> first teacher that hit me, he ended up getting knocked out the first floor window. And that's what I got expelled from there for. I'd done very little education myself and I left school at the age of 14 to go to prison. What was the most you ever made from crime? I, think, I
2: don't know, to me a lot. Maybe not to other people, but to me a lot. More than a couple thousand, I'd say. I could have had about a grand come in a day, because they're in 10s and 20s and I'm buying food and I'm buying weed and I'm buying clothes. I don't really know, like, I, don't, I, I could have hired three accountants and they probably still didn't know what my in and my outs yeah. were, do you know what I mean? Because you just, you just splash it as you go. What about you, how much money do you think you... Oh, way more than me than banks, but...
0: We worked it out um, that over a 35-year period, we stole something like 2.7 million between us. Um, Jeez. Didn't last very long either. The most we ever took in one go was 160,000, and that was between three of us. I actually had mine in Tesco's carrier bag under the bed. Within about six weeks the bag was empty and that was it, we were out banging at it again.
2: You went for 50 grand in
0: six weeks? Yeah, yeah. You want to spend it fast because if you get nicked with it and the police get it back, it's pointless you have done it. You know what I mean? So we used to get rid of money quick. The things I used to buy was I, I was a car freak. So I loved cars, but I loved 1950s and 60s cars. And we wasted our money like you wouldn't believe, like drunken sailors. And that's why we could never get out of the game. Money comes and goes. Money comes and goes, yeah,
2: it's true.
0: Nick your money, you spend your money, want more, eventually get caught, go to prison for many years, come out, and what are you good for? You're good for doing what you've done before you went to prison, because prison teaches you nothing.
2: Did you ever carry a weapon?
0: All the time. When I became an armed robber, it, be, it was tools of your trade. You know, you had to carry something in order to, to intimidate and frighten people to give you their money. And also, you had to have something to keep you safe. I used to um, sleep with a gun under my pillow. That's no joke. I, every time I went out of my house, I had to check that I had at least one weapon with me. One was normally a gun. I used to carry a knife as well as a gun. Sometimes I would carry two guns, a knife and a stun gun. The only thing I've never really carried on the streets, and my mate offered me one time, was a box of grenades for 20 pound each.
2: 20 pound?
0: Yeah, this was back in the 70s when I, you, could, you could get stuff like that nicked off army camps. But that's, I wouldn't carry a grenade because it's indiscriminate, but I always had, had to have something to protect myself and protect my family. And mainly I've got to say it was from the police. Did you carry weapons?
2: I carried a weapon, just a knife. I say just a knife, as it's not just a knife, it's bad, but just a knife, like just, Always in the
0: waist. Did you ever use the knife? Were you ever forced to use the knife? Yeah, of course. Of course. It's not a toy. A lot?
2: No, not a lot. Not a lot. I always had a mentality, which other people don't share. Like, if I don't like that one person, it's just that one person. Nowadays, I think people are like, cool, if I don't like... A and A rolls with B and C, then I'll get all of them. I'm not like that. I'm like only this person's done me wrong. I'm not one of these people that will stab someone over a girl. It has to be you owe me money or da-da-da-da-da. So like instrumental
0: there. violence, for yeah. You, you yeah, use exactly. violence to get what you want. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich.
2: Describe the moment you knew there was no turning back on crime.
0: As an armed robber, as a bank robber, the moment for me when you could never turn your back is as you walk across the pavement and put your hand on the door of the premises, you're going to rob, because by then, you've committed yourself. Your hand, your gun's already half out, your mask's already half down. For me, it was every time I went in to rob somewhere, Mm. you know, I, I kind of felt the fear, but I couldn't, it was never a turning point, it was never a, Stop. What was the moment you knew when there was no turning back?
2: You no, know, you start, you just sit there, you regretted something. That's when I knew there was no turning back. I know that would probably deter some people, but with me, it's like I'm, I'm, I'm far too gone now, like, why am I doing that? And I just think, oh, it's too much thinking. Smoke,
0: have a zoo, and then
2: just probably go and do it again. For me, once I see money,
0: I couldn't stop. I was more into the adrenaline rush, the danger, you know what I mean? The, the absolute feeling of being alive when you cross that pavement and you push open that door and you know you've got control of everything. I was an insignificant kid, you know what I mean? I used to get bullied and beaten up by all the other gangs and that. So when I became in charge, when I had a gun in my hand or a weapon in my hand, I was 10 foot tall. And you get love off. It. To you get off is dangerous then.
2: Yeah. For me, the initial shock of maybe stabbing someone or the initial shock of running away from police or the initial shock of selling drugs to someone you normally wouldn't, you'd probably be pushing open a door and and drawing Mm -hmm. out your weapon. After you're over that initial fear, that initial like, shit, that's gonna be bad, it's, it's all up, it's all like, you're ready, I mean, it's all positive, it's all happy, you love what you're doing, and you must see it. Things deteriorate quickly. Like oh, yeah. From one bank, to two banks, to four banks. And it becomes be- an
0: addiction. Same as violence, violence can be an addiction as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah a lot of people, yeah. What did you get sentenced for?
2: Um, I got sentenced for, it's a weird one. Basically, I had a cut an agent for cocaine, It's a legit thing, you know what I mean? It's legit, but it's just how you use it. See, because I got caught with like 50 kilos. I got caught importing 50 kilos of it. So they said, oh, this guy, he's got 50 kilos of this shit, and he's obviously doing it with cocaine. What else is he gonna do it with me? That was what I got sentenced for. I think I got sentenced to that. I got, I think I total, I got about five years, eight months. What about you? You got a life sentence, right?
0: Yeah, I got life for um, armed robbery, possession of firearms and ammunition, uh, conspiracy to rob. And possession of explosives oh, okay. um, yeah that was the last time
2: What was your minimum tariff to do?
0: Uh, it was eight, I done 12 you done 12,
2: yeah. yeah So you got knocked back three times or four times?
0: Yeah, four times, yeah So I've been out now for about nine months How oh, nice. about you, how long have you been out? I've been out uh, nine years last week Nine years? Yeah, yeah, I've, my last sentence was um life sentence What was the first phone call you made after you were arrested?
2: to my sister or my brother telling them not to tell my mum.
0: I, I think that was the first one. I sat in a hundred visit, prison visiting rooms and swore to wives and mothers, my yeah, mother I mean, and that, never again, and meant it at the time, and meant it. Meant that when I got out I was never, and then got out and went straight back to it. Straight back,
2: it's hard. Yeah. You convince yourself that, that that chat has just changed your whole perception. Yeah and that you're ready to be, like you're reborn. You're ready to go out there and do good stuff. And then you just smell the fresh air, you're like, you just don't know, you just turn a blunt bunch of lies. Oh, it's all good. It's not all good. Oh yeah, it's gonna be all right. It's not gonna be all right. Yeah. I'm not looking at a long time. You know you're looking at a bird, you know what I mean? So yeah, first one was mum. This, <laughs> this <laughs> sorry. Describe prison food in two words. Absolute shy. Describe the contraband that was being sold.
0: Right right, have we got an hour? (laughs) Uh, You can buy anything in prison. If you've got the money, you can buy anything, anything you want. The only thing you can't buy is a woman. Mm. Not in British jails. Mm. Fault? of course you can, because they used to have the prostitutes coming from the outside. Yes, you're right. I think the worst thing you can buy in prison, in the top security prisons, is you can buy someone's life and you can get someone killed for a quarter of an ounce of uh, heroin, I think was the main price and there were people willing to do it. Was that
2: like £200 on the road, if that? Yeah. What, what prisons in that did you go?
0: All of them, really. Stampton House when I was a kid. Latchmere. Then on the Rochester Ballstool. Dover Ballstool. Yeah, yeah. Parkhurst. Albany. um, Maiston, Whitemore. Long Larton.
2: Long Larton? That's a serious one. Nah. I remember a few of the boys, who They really, thought they was tough when they got told they got Long Larton boys. Mm-mm. Yeah. They didn't want the stories you hear about Long Larton. serious.
0: What things did you do to keep sane in prison?
2: Keep saying, gym. Gym, 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 gym. I used to go work at seven, come back, hit the yard for an hour, go to work till 11, go back to the gym, back to work over lunch, work through till five, go get dinner, sit in the self half an hour, gym again. Gym, 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 gym. It's the visits. My mum, yeah. every month, every single month, she was there, niece and nephews, my sisters. That's the only thing you look forward to. You must agree that visits so are the only thing you really look forward to in prison.
0: Like I was I was different. I refused visits. I wouldn't let people come yeah, in from yeah, the yeah. outside because I didn't want the outside world intruding onto prison. Because I think you can't live with one foot in prison and one foot outside. Very and true. because my sentences were very, very long, mm visits weren't for me. So my my way of keeping sane was causing them as much trouble as I could all the way through my prison system. Any way I could do it, I would do it. I'd make hooch, I would sell weapons, I would sell drugs, I would assault screws, I would set up riots, I would attack sex offenders. It was just mental but it kept me going all the time and it kept my brain ticking over until I discovered education and once I discovered education that became my drug and that kept me sane.
2: Since going to prison and stuff, I've done Open University and all this stuff, and I'm learning a language now.
0: But, but but you said you've been doing education since. Yeah, because you've since leaving off. school. Do you enjoy it now? No, I don't enjoy no. it. No, 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 I don't enjoy it. I just, um, I just do it. I think if you don't educate yourself, nice, then you can't understand the concept of rehabilitation. That's why so many people in jail.
1: Yeah,
0: it's like a revolving door to them because they don't learn anything. Yeah, they yeah, don't yeah. apply themselves. They just want to lay on the bed and watch the telly or take drugs. Um, what do you do now? Now I work for a homeless charity. Right. Um, who we hire homeless people
2: through coffee. We pay them not the a living wage and all that stuff. We give them homes. It's kind of like my job to just kind of oversee what goes on day to day make sure they're happy, yeah. make sure they get to work. And um, hopefully soon, sooner rather than later, I'm going to be teaching them how to, uh, how to make coffee. And I also, I also work with um, kids who have challenged behavior. So probably kids that were like me, yeah. about eight years ago or whatever. But I work with kids with challenging behaviour, a lot of respite work, just giving mum and dad a rest to be a part. You must, you must do something you're proud of.
0: Yeah, when I was in jail, I wrote some books. Nice. become a pretty uh, talented writer, and when I got out, I joined Inside Time, which is the National Prisoner's newspaper. I've seen yeah. 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 And I'm the um, um, commissioning editor. I do a lot of talks and criminology tours, and I go into schools and young offenders' places and speak to them. Um, and try and let them know that what they see, what they think their impression of prison is, as you well know, is not what it really is. And basically try and put people off. If you can stop one person from going down the line that we went down, Mm -hmm. then I think that is a job well done and it's worth it. And I think what you're doing now is a good thing. So man, thanks so much, man. Nice one.
1: Join us next week when we'll be hearing stories about adoption from Lucy, who was brought over to the UK from Hong Kong and adopted by a British family. And Jamie, who traced his biological mother in his 20s in hopes of building a relationship. If I hadn't been adopted, I probably would have been dead. That's how ill I was. So from that point of view, when people say, especially of transracial adoptees, you, you have to be grateful. Yes, of course I'm grateful. I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you. I wouldn't have the life that I have if I hadn't been adopted. However, having said that, If I hadn't been adopted, that's not to say that I would not have had an equally amazing life if I'd remained in Hong Kong, if I had um, gone beyond uh, infancy, Mm. um, which is highly unlikely if I'd stayed in the orphanage. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Gap. Our thanks also go to Noel and Cornet for sharing their experiences with us. Subscribing to The Gap means you'll see a new episode in your feed each week. So make sure you do. On Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast or wherever you like to listen.